the road to recovery. You might be cruising down it. A friend or family member lost on it. Or the road is, well, still under construction. Relevant Recovery Radio is about getting to that destination of normal health, mind, or strength. Now, Relevant Recovery Radio, here to give you the keys, Heather and Donnie Mosier. Hello, welcome to Relevant Recovery Radio. I am your host for today, Donnie Mosier. Heather is out. Um, She was picked up by the FBI, and she's currently being questioned about her rigid decisions and the way she lives her life. I've been trying to get this done for a long time, but it seems like somebody finally noticed uh, besides me. So we're here today for the Matthews Hope Detox and Recovery Program. It's a unique detox for substance abuse disorder or substance use disorder. We're located inside the St. Joseph's Hospital in downtown Houston. Uh, Matthews Hope is a 10 to 14 day detox followed up with 24 months to a year of free aftercare and recovery coaching after discharge. It really is a, a very cool program. Most detoxes, they call them spin dries. You go in for seven days, they get you off your substance and then kick you out the door. But uh, Matthews Hope does it a little bit differently where they keep up with you, help you, give you the coaching and what you need to stay sober. It's a, it's a good recipe for success. So if you or a loved one, or maybe they're unloved, we don't know, we don't want to say that for you, would like any information about the Matthews Hope Detox and Recovery Support Program, please give them a call at 844-AND-HOPE. That is 844-263-4673, or visit the website www.mhdrp, that's Matthew's Hope Detox Recovery Program, mhdrp.org, for more information. As usual, you're listening to us today on KPRC 950 in Houston, 1 p.m. Central. If you're not in the H and you want to listen to us at the same time, you can always go to the iHeartRadio app. It's a free download. You can find the KPRC 950 channel. You can listen to us live at 1 p.m. Central. At the end of the day, they upload our show to a podcast, and you can find us on the iHeartRadio app under Relevant Recovery Radio. That's a lot, and it's weird when I say it instead of Heather. Um, So today, I'm excited. Uh, I have a very close friend of mine in studio today. Um, I would like to introduce you to Robert. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) What's going on, man? Thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming in. So Robert and I have known each other for almost four years. Almost four years. It's been a bit. Yeah. Um, he is one of my closest relationships in life. We know pretty much everything about each other. And um, and you've been sober. You're coming up on seven years? Seven in August. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. Hitting them big numbers. I, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and so today I want to talk a little bit about your recovery. I want to talk about um, getting sober young. So how old are you? 26. 26. So you got sober at 19. Yeah. How is that even possible? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Uh, And I want to talk about your upcoming event in October. Mm -hmm. You're getting married. Yeah. And you're marrying somebody in the program. Yep. So that's like two scary prospects. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely terrifying. It's super exciting and terrifying at the same time. But yeah, I to think that like seven years ago I was like in treatment, 
trying to just not die. And then today I'm like planning a wedding, planning a honeymoon, like in love with somebody else. Like it's, it's wild. You're showing up for somebody else. You're, they want me around, you know, that's fantastic. (laughs) Like today you are one of the, the first people we mentioned, the loved one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Finally. (laughs) 10 years ago, I was the unloved family member for sure. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I was the, let's put up with him and, try to do this again to save his life and then today like i get to show up and and i'm excited to do that today which is really cool oh i love it so we're gonna we're gonna take you on a journey today from um a guy who nobody really banked on staying alive Mm -hmm. uh, to a guy who has the whole world in front of him yeah you know that's how that's what i love about this and it was the last place going into a 12-step fellowship is the last place i ever yeah, did not did not want to be there. No. Yeah, that that was when when I got sent to treatment. It was you know I I don't want to talk about you know religion. I don't want to talk about twelve steps. And I want my phone. And <laughs> I got there, and they were like, "All right, kid, give me your phone. You know, here's a you know the twelve steps are on the wall, and you need to pick a higher power." And You're like, oh no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> F my life. I'm done with this. Yeah, exactly. But it's exactly what I needed. So, mm. And uh, where did you, did, now, did you grow up in Houston? Uh, I grew up like an hour and a half north in Montgomery. Okay. What was it like? Uh, like, what's your family like? What's uh, fantastic? Mm-hmm. You know, there wasn't, if you looked at my life, you wouldn't go, oh, this person's going to be an alcoholic, mm-hmm. you know? Um, growing up i had everything i ever wanted uh family was good you know i have like the typical divorced parents but that's pretty normal i guess for this generation right right Um, unfortunately it has become the norm yeah yeah and i i i don't think there was any signs that that i would have been an alcoholic you know i had everything i ever wanted did well in school you know everything was great um except for I mean, for me, I think it was just the internal condition, right? Mm -hmm. Like feeling like this isn't enough. Uh, I want more. I don't have enough friends. I'm not like these people around me, which come to find out was just all internal. It was just how I felt about myself, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is, has a lot to do with alcoholism, you know, and why we end up the way that we end up. We always say that in the rooms, talk about like, I could feel alone in a room full of a hundred people. Exactly. Yeah. And that was me in like third grade. You know. and, and the reason I ask about your family is there seems to be this misunderstanding about people that have alcoholism or addiction or whatever that <clears throat> it's because of a life event. It's because of, and, and maybe, maybe there's mm-hmm. some occasion where it is, but for the most part, if you pull a good cross section of us, mm-hmm. um, we may have had rough lives, but we also know people like you that you grew up, like you said, you wanted for nothing. You had everything you needed. Your parents loved you. Um, so we have people that have had silver spoons to no spoons, both parents to one parent to no parent. I mean, yeah. so we, we have every single type of person. So um, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about kind of like what led you to that. What was the, the sort of the final straw that got you uh, sober, like into that direction? Uh, And then we'll just see where it takes us from there. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Relevant Recovery Radio.
Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host in studio today, Donnie Mosier. Uh, Heather is on sabbatical uh, from life. I couldn't get her out of bed this morning. It was really weird, but uh, we'll just let her nap and do what she needs to do. Actually, she's doing something really important today. I can't really talk about it, but she's doing very well in her... Uh, in her career and they have an important meeting so she couldn't be here today i love to just make jokes about her mm-hmm. right robert i'd love i know that you'd love to join in on this yeah yeah it's 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 fun it's a good time like we all have this joke uh you and kate and candy pants and everybody if you really want to make heather crazy mm-hmm. uh misquote the big book yeah just misquote it that's all you have to do yeah and you can literally watch her start on fire from the inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've <laughs> taught her son a few things to say around her to get her going crazy. It's, That's so it's great. <laughs> that is so great. Yeah, we're definitely, she and I are opposites. I'm, I'm pretty like, hey, let's just go with it. And she's like, no, no, I'll go with it, but I'm going to need to know a minute-by-minute schedule. We're going to put it in writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no deviation. Yeah, yeah. No. So so you, um, you're raised by normal parents. Mm-hmm. You've got a pretty good home life. You do well in school. Like, where did it go off the rails, and what led you to needing to get sober? Um, I'm not sure exactly where it went completely off the rails. I mean, I think my drug use and alcohol use started, in my eyes, as, like, normal, Mm. right? Like a normal 13-year-old kid, like, smoking weed in the woods, like, every once in a while with Mm -hmm. the friends, right? Which, like, I don't know if that's normal. And, I mean, up until the day I got sober, I was like, guys, this is normal. You know? Like, <laughs> this is fine. Everybody bangs heroin. It's not a big yeah, deal. Yeah, I'm, like, pawning tools to get more heroin. <laughs> this is... People do this, you know? Um, but I, I think in the beginning it was normal, you know, smoking weed with friends. And and it kind of built up from there. And, and I don't think that, like, marijuana is the gateway drug. I was literally just you thinking know? I was going to ask you that. Yeah, no. Your opinion on that. It, but it, when it's I tell my no story... It's probably no more a gateway than, than alcohol is, right? It's... Yeah, okay. exactly. When I tell my story, like, that's what it sounds like, right? Because, like, if I would have never stopped, started smoking weed, like, would I have ended up where I did? And I, there was no question in my mind I would have always done all of these things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, so started doing that at... I don't know, 13 around then, and then just progressed and progressed and progressed. And at the time, I mean, straight A student in school, um, I got my first B in freshman year of high school. I failed my first class freshman year of high school. Oh, right? wow. Like, so, so that's when it started to like kick. Yeah. Like I went from top of the class to, to bottom and a matter of months. Um, was there a, was there a certain, was that due to a behavior or a specific substance? What do you attribute it to now? I think it's a behavior. Um, I think that originally, so my sister is like top 10% of her class, graduated from A&M. Wow. She makes more money than I would know what to do with, you know, <laughs> right. like she's doing great. And throughout school, she made straight A's. And like, I saw that praise from my parents and stuff. And I think like, that's what I wanted. And so I tried really hard in school, did really well. And then I found drugs, the people that do drugs got (laughs) validation from all of that, right? And so quickly switched to let's skip school, sleep in class, like not do anything. For me, and I'm curious if it's the same for you, 
when we found those people up to that point, we just wanted to be accepted, liked, validated. Mm-hmm. And so I found the group of people that had a really low bar. Yeah. And they loved me for who I was, validated, and didn't question what I was doing. Yeah. Is that the same for you? Yeah. Yeah. It was, and I don't think like, now that I think about it, I don't think the other people that I was around previous to them were like judging me. I just felt like they were, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, because I wasn't good enough. Like I wasn't doing this thing good enough or whatever, but I was really good at getting high, you mm-hmm. know, and I was <laughs> yeah. really good at like skipping class and like not getting good grades. And and so I think like I felt accomplished and yeah. in some sense of the word, you know, I get it. like I had arrived. This is my, my place to be. So yeah, I mean, I, I fell in with them and again it was just more of like this is normal you mm-hmm. know people do this and I always had a plan I, I went from like I'm going to graduate high school early to my third year of high school which was technically my second sophomore year um, dropping out like middle of the year um, and I I mean I was supposed to like full ride scholarship academia like all of that when I first joined high school and then now I'm getting my GED at 17 um, my mom's real proud of that one. So, <laughs> same. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I went to school for like eleven or twelve years, but I never passed the tenth grade. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's but but I got that good enough diploma. We're good there. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm doing all right today. So let me ask you this: at that point, so dropping out. Now you're going to full time party and all that. Mm-hmm. And I want to ask this for the people out there that you may have a teenager struggling. You may, is there anything your parents could have done differently? I don't think so. I, I really don't, you know, and today having a kid, it's mm-hmm. terrifying mm-hmm. because I've always told people, I'm like, there's nothing you can do, right? Just let them run it out. But then I imagine like, you know, like our daughter doing that. And I'm like, dude, I, I don't know if I could just sit there and watch it. But, but for me, there's, there was really nothing. You, know? you were going to do what you were going to do. Yeah. And, and really, I think like as a parent, I can only imagine like how terrifying it must have been for my parents. But there was nothing that could have stopped them. If they would have sent me to treatment at 16 years old, I wouldn't have gotten this thing, you know. My parents did sent me at 15 and I got out and I was like drunk and high within two weeks because it meant nothing to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just all these people telling me what I can and cannot do, which to a 16 year old <laughs> is, I know what I can do, right. you know? Um, and it just hadn't gotten bad enough for me yet, I think. Um, and I think everybody's threshold is different. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, I needed to, to really burn it down. It's, you know, people are always telling me, oh, I wish I could have gotten it at your age. And I'm like, dude, you, you weren't doing what I was doing at my age. Right. You know, right. like the only reason that I'm, I got sober at 19 was because I was going to be dead by 20. Yep. You know, a hundred percent. And I've heard your story and I fully believe that. Yeah. I fully believe that. Yeah. I um, mean, I hear that heroin is a special drug, right? And yeah. I hear stories from you and Heather. I, I wasn't in that world. Mm-hmm. Um, I had different substances of choice. I love to drink and do cocaine, so I've never really messed with heroin. But when I hear you guys talk, like, it's literally a world within this world. Mm-hmm. Like, there's stuff that go on in the heroin world that are the things that books and TV are made of. Yeah. 
but it's really happening all around us. And it's almost like a spirit world. It's happening all around you. Don't even, you're oblivious to it unless you're in it. Yeah. <clears throat> when you guys talk about the fact that, you know, you're using heroin as a group and if one of you dies, well, it's just kind of like the cost of doing business. Like it's, yeah. how do we all stay out of trouble? You yeah. Know, that's crazy to me. But so, so you're 17, you're GED in it. What, mm -hmm. what was your cliff? What, what took you to the end there? Um, so by 17, I was, I was doing heroin, uh, pretty much daily. Uh, mm. I, I think I started around 16, mm -hmm. around 17 and it was just, you know, a buddy wanted a ride to go pick some up and I gave him a ride and he said, well, I don't have any money, but I have this heroin. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I'd already been well-versed in everything else. And I figured, well, I can stop this at any time. You know, we'll just try it this one time. Uh, but it wasn't like a big, you know, all the dare classes in sixth grade, like didn't prepare me. He wasn't like the pusher man. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, yeah. So, and, and then from 17 to 19 was just IV heroin use. Was your first time IV? No, no. Snorted or smoked yeah, it? Yeah, snorted it for uh, probably about six months. So that's classed by you and Heather. That's now classed as you wasted your first time. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I always find that so amusing. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's like drinking on a full stomach. Why would you do that? Right. You know. Right. <clears throat> All right. So I love it. Um, and, you know, I hope people out there get our humor. Most of them probably won't, but the things that we laugh at are. Yeah. Yeah. So Heather's always saying that, like, if somebody says, yeah, I snorted heroin. She's like, so you wasted it. <laughs> exactly. I love it. All right. Well, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Robert Jones when we get back with Relevant Recovery Radio. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Donnie Mosier. Heather is out today making giant business decisions. Um, I'd like to say other things about her, but I, I told her I'd tone it down a little bit. She's a great woman. Great woman, Donnie. She really is. <laughs> she really is. She's a great woman. She keeps me on track. It's usually with violence, but she keeps me on track. Yeah, I'm terrified every time I go to your house. It's <laughs> I I keep it on the straight and narrow every time I'm there. <laughs> it's funny. So <clears throat> I'm a six foot tattooed bearded man and everybody's afraid of my five foot two wife. Yeah, she's terrifying. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's pretty great, right? And all she does is sit on the couch and take right. notes in her big book and make PowerPoints to like show people that they're wrong. And it's just... <laughs> <laughs> See that? Okay, that's what I was looking for. And you said it, not me. So and this is great. Yeah, you pass me a note. It's fine. <clears throat> oh, it's okay. So, all right. So pick up where you left off. Where you're, you're burning it down. Yeah. Like what, what got you to a point to get sober at 19 and it was it your first attempt was there failed attempts like what does that look like um so like and, i tried and, and what did your parents do at this time okay so i tried numerous times you know to stop on my own detox on my own moderate on my own um and nothing really worked for me uh you know i, I could get a few months here or there just not doing heroin but i was doing everything else because in my mind at the time, that was fine, you know. Um, and my parents knew, I was trying to remember this the other day, but at some point I told them, thinking that, like, this will get me sober. Like, I knew it was a problem at 18, 
Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I knew that I was having trouble stopping, spending all my money on it. Right. Um, but still wasn't willing to do much else about it. Right. Except for just trying to detox on my own. Um, so my mom, I didn't talk to her because she was the, in my head, like the one that was going to bring the hammer down. So I avoided Mm -hmm. her at all costs. Uh, my dad tried to help me, God bless him. Like, so many times so many different ways um the first time i went to treatment like i came home and my dad said what are you doing tomorrow and i said nothing you know probably, <laughs> i mean i'm probably gonna try to like pawn some stuff like in yours. your mind you're like well i'm i'm be getting high but i probably shouldn't say that out loud yeah yeah and uh <laughs> and, and he says okay you're you're going to rehab um and i wasn't excited but also was there a sense of I know I need it, but even though I don't want to do it. Yeah, definitely like knew that I needed it and and, and like a little twinge of like hope mm-hmm. that like maybe maybe I can be okay, you know? Because um, at this point you were beyond the threshold of human aid, meaning like there was no way for you to stop on your own. It just wasn't possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I tried everything. I had multiple partners tell me, you know, everything under the sun to try to get me sober. My parents tried to do stuff. Uh, I burned every relationship down. Like I was out of options. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, I, and did you wake up every morning and I'm asking some of these things, you and I know them, right. Mm-hmm. But I want people that maybe not know, like in the morning, right. I'm not doing it today. I'm oh, not doing 100%. it today. And then how long would that last? An hour. <laughs> right. You know, it, it, I would, I mean, so I lived an hour and a half from work and an hour and a half from like my dope plug. So I would wake up, do the last little bit that I had and say, okay, that's it. I'm not doing it anymore. I drive an hour and a half to work, work until 3.30, drive an hour and a half home telling myself I'm not going to do this. And you meant it, right? A hundred percent. And I'd get home, sit in my own silence for five minutes get in the car, drive an hour and a half to go get dope yep. and work and dope right next to each other. Right. So like I, I'd, I'd had all these promises and all these reasons like not to do it. And I just, I couldn't not do it, you know? And, and with heroin, you have like the sickness part mm-hmm. of it, right. Where like, if you don't do it, you start detoxing and it feels like the worst flu or the worst coronavirus that you've ever had in your life. Right. I've heard some nightmares. I've never been through it, but I've heard like, like yeah. yeah all the fluids come out of all the orifices and it's just literally you feel like you're dying yeah it's it's horrible but, but the thing is you won't die which <laughs> so just that's the sucks. problem <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> so but yeah no no matter what i told myself i'd promise myself pretty much every day that i was never going to do it again um but i would always end up doing it so i get shipped to treatment the first time and and i learned you know, the treatment center I went to was a good treatment center. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're pushing pushing the book, pushing twelve Where'd steps. Where'd you go? Uh Origins in South Padre. Okay. Yeah. Right, that's a good group. Yeah. Um and and so it's just it's like a big book boot camp, basically. Mm-hmm. And um and, and it was really good and, and I came out of there with this confidence that I've got this, I know what I'm doing. How long um, were you there? Forty five days. Okay. Um yeah, 45 days that time. So I got out and I the thing is is I'm so good at treatment. 
I'm really good at it because if you give me pats on the back for doing things, I, I do whatever's cool. And when I was there, the cool thing to do was get sober. The cool thing to do was quote the book. The cool thing to do was like what we do. Mm-hmm. So I started doing it and on the outside, everything was great. But the thing is, is on the inside, like I wasn't. Nothing had changed. Yeah, I wasn't doing any of it, right? I'm talking about how I'm praying every morning, but I didn't pray, mm. right? Um, so all this stuff, it was just like an external thing for like pats on the back from people and to try to make myself feel better. Um, and I was out for probably two weeks in a halfway house here in the city. And um, I got a resentment with the house manager over nothing. And I, you know, he was like, you're not ready to go back to work. I'm worried you're going to get high. And I'm like, I'll show you. I'll just go get high. I'll go get high. Right. <laughs> so yeah, went and got high, overdosed, uh, woke up in a parking lot like two hours later. Um, oh, wow. And then got an ultimatum from my parents. Like you can go back to treatment or, you know, bye. And you think they meant it? hundred <clears throat> percent. You know, there, there's a lot of times... Li- there are people that we deal with now whose parents don't even realize they're killing them, Yeah. right? Um, there are people that are trying to get sober and their parents are enabling, enabling, enabling. And the common thread that I see of what is successful is the way your parents did it, the way Heather's parents did it, which was basically do not talk mm-hmm. to me again until you want to get sober. They, they're, and that's got to be the hardest thing. I can't even imagine yeah. Yeah. saying that to my kid. Yeah. I can't. It's terrifying. But- that that's what worked for me. I mean, I I burned my life to the ground for three years, you know, living with my dad and him giving me a job and letting me stay there. And this time it was he said, "Look, you can go to treatment now, or you can get out." And I was like, "Can I get a ride?" You know. So I got dropped off at a friend's house, and I like couch hopped for a little bit. And after a week, all the money was gone, you know, and like. It was no longer fun. And my friend's mom was like, you can't keep sleeping on our couch, you know, surrounded by beer cans and like all. And I was out of options, right? And I ended up finding, I mean, statute of limitation. I found a credit card and just racked that thing up for three more weeks. So my run lasted about 30 days. And and then I called my dad and, and said, no, that's not what happened actually. I broke into my dad's house <laughs> and stole a bunch of money from him while he was on vacation. And uh, and he got back. He texted me and he said, you have 72 hours to either go to treatment or get out forever. I don't care if you need help later on. Like, I'm done. Um, that was what he needed to put the boundary up and stand behind it. 100%. Yeah. Right. And at this time, I was staying with my mom. Uh, and she didn't know any of this was happening. Um, but yeah, so I waited like any good drug addict. I waited 71 and a half hours <laughs> <laughs> and text him and said, okay, I'll go. Um, and they did some bamboozle stuff. I thought I was just going to go to detox, but they ended up shipping me back to, uh, to origins. Um, and I did another two month stay there. But then you went to sober living after that. Yeah. Heather really talks highly of that for somebody who's really struggling, especially mm-hmm. with heroin, to leave an RTC and then go into sober living. For how long were you in sober living? Uh, seven months. Do you 
do you think that contributes to your success today? I think so. Um, and for me, it was like an e- for me, it wasn't an easy decision. But for the people around me, it was right because I'm sitting there going, I don't think this is a good idea. And they're like, you have nothing. You have no one. You know, like there's I know guys who are married with kids who go to sober living. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm 19 with no one saying like, yeah, I just don't think it's going to fit in my lifestyle. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I, I think it was really beneficial for me. Would you recommend that to the next Robert coming up the chain? hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Sometimes we need that 24 by seven example of how others in that community, mm-hmm. you had a community around you at all times. Yeah. Um, I love where this is going. So if you want to find out if Robert stayed sober from this point on, you're going to have to come back and check us out. We'll be right back here in a minute with relevant recovery radio. Welcome back to Relevant Recovery Radio. I'm your host today, Donnie Mosier. Heather is indisposed. Um, what I would like for you to do is go to the Facebook and just let her know. I think it's uh, Facebook. It's Relevant Recovery Radio or Instagram. And just let her know how much you enjoyed the show today. You're not sure what was different, but it just seemed so much better. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just love this radio show that you've been doing, Donnie, and I think it's like real nice that you let Heather come on every once in a while. So you know, it's just the kind of giving person that I am. Yeah, it's just yeah. you know. <laughs> <laughs> I remember when she and I started doing it. You made that joke in front of her. I think she caught fire inside again. Oh yeah, because this is definitely her show. Yeah. there's no doubt about it. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, you get out of rehab for a second time. Mm-hmm. You go into sober living. How? Like, let us know what happened from there. Like, um. So from there, I mean, I, th- I think it's, you know, got involved in like 12-step fellowship, mm-hmm. got involved in working the steps, working with others, um, and a connection to something bigger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and my life has never been the same, right? Um, I, I owe pretty much everything that I have to this fellowship, right? And like my recovery, because I... Because some people come in at, you know, you, what were you, like 80 when you came in well, here? I was 41, you know, but uh, close. close. Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and it's, you have a life already. Mm-hmm. I didn't. You know, I learned how to pay bills, how to be a roommate, you know, how to buy a house, how to buy a car, like all these things I learned, like in recovery, in sobriety. By by the community around you, by the people around you. That's the beauty of it is they, they call it kind of growing up in the fellowship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't have as many, like, bad habits, I guess, when it came to life, you know. I picked a lot up on the way, though. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it's 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 been exciting. I got to do – I went to Sober Living in South Florida. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, that was, like, my recovery college, I guess, you know, hanging out with people all the time, staying out late – 12 step calls all the time working with a bunch of guys and you know four years ago when I moved back here is it was like the growing up like you know let's get a career you know uh I met my fiance Kate and and it was a big change talk about that for a second like what it was like because when you I love what you talk about because you were in West Palm right Mm -hmm. so you've got no parental 
authority figure. Is you're, it literally is like being away at college, right? Yeah. So instead of an RA, you've got a sponsor and yeah. you're doing what you want, when you want, how you want. And you're living like the 12-step life as your life, like it's full time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah. then you come back and you've got none of that. Yeah. Everything and, changed. Yeah, it was terrifying. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I... I talked to a friend of mine before I left and, and moved back here. And, and I said, dude, like, I don't know what to do, you know? And he said, well, just do the same thing that you did here. And mm -hmm. I said, I have no idea what I did here, right? <laughs> like, it all just fell into place. And he said, exactly, right? Like, it's gonna be fine, mm -hmm. you know? And, and for me, like, I think it's whether it's like you're getting into recovery for the first time or you're moving or you're getting back into it, it's... It always works out, right, as long as I do the next thing that I'm supposed to do, right? Like, I know what I need to do. I know I need to pray, right? I know I need to meditate. I know I need to do some, like, step work stuff. I know I need to work with other people. Um, and if I do that, like, everything else tends to work out pretty well as long as I'm not in the way of it. The other thing, too, I used to hate it. Oh, it's still one of those, like, there's all these cliches in the program where people say that they kind of get under my skin a little bit. Mm-hmm. But one that they used to say a lot that I think I kind of understand today is I get drunk, we stay sober. Yeah. And I hated it. And I probably still, there's a little animosity still toward it, but I kind of get what they were saying because I see people come in. Mm -hmm. uh, let's say that I start noticing them at the meeting, right? So they're coming to get sober. They show up three minutes before the meeting starts. They come in, they sit down in the back, they talk to no one. As soon as the meeting's over, they jet. Mm -hmm. They don't ever come into the fold, into yeah. the fellowship. They're not willing to, whether people tell them to or not, they're just not willing to do that. And I rarely see those people succeed. You just cannot do this alone. Yeah. Yeah. I have to have. And for me, I think it goes back again to this, like, I want to do what the cool thing to do is. Right. Mm -hmm. So like if everybody that I'm around that I look up to is like, hey, man, like we're going to this meeting. Mm -hmm. or we're going on this 12-step call or, you know, like whatever it is, like yeah. that's what I'm going to do. You or we're know? going to coffee after the meeting or, yeah. I mean, like we, we, there's a group of us that all hang out. We call it the family. Mm -hmm. um, we are not exclusive. Anybody who wants to hang with us is welcome to hang with us. Mm -hmm. But there is a good 15 to 20 of us that do life together. Yeah. Um, we do anything from top golf, bowling, dinners, parties at that, you know, either at Gay's house or at our house or like, we're just, we just do it together. Yeah. And it literally is like a family. Cause there's times when we're not like ever, there's a little bit of a uh, dissension in the family. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and it, I, I think it's great. I mean, this year alone, I think we're at five engagements, yep. four weddings, probably like 10 kids, you know, <laughs> like it's, it's insane. <clears throat> it's literally watching a family grow. Yeah. yeah. Um, so what would you say are, what, what did you learn the most over the last seven years? What would you th think are your biggest ahas? And, mm -hmm. and what would you say are the best things to come out of your last seven years of sobriety? Um, I think as far as like my biggest ahas and, and everything is, it, it always ends up being the same, right? I've had some big struggles in sobriety, which don't necessarily have anything to do with sobriety. It's just life, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and, and God's always gotten me through it, you know? And, and I think every time in the beginning, I'm always like, oh, I don't think he's got this one, you know? Right. Um, I need to manage this somehow. But, but every time on the other side, as soon as I let go and I go, 
I, I don't want it anymore. Like you got it. Um, he takes over and it works out, you know? Um, and I think it's just like a learning process of like trusting God again and again and again and again. Um, and maybe one day, like I'll be good at it, but like, I'm not today. <laughs> I'm 10 years in and I'm still not good at it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I think I'm with you on that. Cause I think also in the beginning that I, I thought that, okay, I'm sober now. Life's going to be just a yeah. peach. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then after the first year, you know, everybody kind of stops patting you on the back cause you're not dead. <laughs> you know, I mean, that was the first year everybody was so excited. Right. And then after that they were like, all right, like, can I have that money back that I loaned you? <laughs> you know, like it, it, you, you have to be a human being and, and for some people, it's you have to learn how to be a human being again. And for me, it was like, I have to learn because I was so young. Like, I, I didn't know. So I have to learn how to be like a brother and a son and a partner. And it's. And those are some of the greatest gifts. 100%. The, the best things I have in my life today is, is these relationships with people that like didn't want anything to do with me. You know, my dad went from 72 hours or I'm never talking to you again. Him and I work together every day. I see him nearly every weekend. You know, I see too much of him, right? But, it's, <laughs> but I love it. And, and I have a relationship with my family. You know, like we said in the beginning, like I'm getting married, which is... what Now, what's that like? So th is this your first serious... So she is in the fellowship. Mm -hmm. Is this your first serious in the fellowship? Yeah. Like, yeah. what's it like? It's, it's cool. Um, and you know, she has less time than me and I always, you know, one day she'll get some like real time and understand, I mean, you know, Heather will I'm catch at. up to me. Well, probably not. Yeah, I'll always be not. ahead, but no. anyways, <laughs> but it's, it blows my mind because I, you know, I have an ego and sometimes like I'll, I'll say something or I'll do something and she'll just hit me with something. And I'm like, Oh, that's not fair. It's you know? always worse when they have less time with you yeah. than less time in you and, and they make a point. And you're like, oh, that's oh, dumb. Yeah. In the like 10 o'clock at night, we're arguing and she's like, maybe you should call your sponsor. I'm like, maybe <laughs> you should. Come on, dude. <laughs> like, what? Did you just bow up to me? Yeah, but it, it's beautiful, man. I, I think it's we both get to grow. You know, we get to show up for our families. We get to show up for this kid. We get to go through planning a wedding together and trying to stay connected to, to God at the same time, which is impossible. But. So you get to grow together. Well, I love it. Well, Robert, thank you so much for being here today. Um, hopefully, Heather will be back next week. Or if not, I'll just take the show over. I think the yeah. audience has already spoken. They, yeah, it'll, it'll be better off. We'll put I a mean, poll up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, don't forget we're doing this for Matthew's Hope Detox uh, program, 844-263-4673. Don't forget those who stand for nothing will fall for anything. Hashtag God, though. <laughs>